Welcome Sheridan Hills Church family and welcome to every guest that has been invited to join us here online. This morning we are in the beautiful Oak Grove at Sheridan Hills Baptist Church in Hollywood, Florida. We welcome you as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Indeed today is a little bit different. Perhaps this is the first time for many churches all around the world not to be able to meet in person. The COVID-19 pandemic has definitely changed our usual status of what we do. We're maintaining a little bit more distance these days, but not in our hearts from the truth of God. Today, we celebrate the greatest truth that any human being could ever know, that there is a God who loves us. He comes and lays down his life for us, and then he takes it up again that we might live in him. This morning, if you've clicked on, we want to encourage you to go to SheridanHills.org and download the sermon notes, maybe even right now while I'm speaking. Our church family has probably already done that, but if you're new to us, we want you to know that as we meet together for worship, there's both lyrics that are there, they'll also be on the screen, but there's also message notes, sermon notes. The way we study the Bible, these are very helpful to you, so if you have the ability to print them out, Go ahead and do that, and it'll make a whole lot more sense as we go. You know, every Easter points back to the first Easter, the first Sunday when Christ rose from the dead. It was a surprise. I want you to just remember with me, maybe you've heard the gospel story a little bit, but Jesus had been crucified. He had been laid in the tomb, and there he was. And on the first day of the week, the Bible tells us that Mary Magdalene and another Mary went to check on the tomb. They went to see, they went to just kind of tend to the tomb and that they, they, their hearts were grieving and they got there and the tomb was open and they were shocked, they were surprised to find that the tomb was empty and that the Lord was alive. In fact, the Lord told them, you go back and tell the others. Tell the others that I am alive. And so sure enough, Peter and John come running to the tomb. They had to see it for themselves. And they, the Bible says over and over again in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Bible says that they were astonished. They were surprised. So Easter is the greatest surprise that we can ever really think through and think about. It's the, one, it's the greatest surprise that, that man has perhaps ever experienced, that God in the flesh would come, lay down his life, and take it up again. And so this morning, we're going to look at the impact of the resurrection. You know, very often at Easter, we've been focusing on, during Easter week or Holy Week, we've been focusing on the crucifixion of Christ, leading up to the resurrection of Christ, and then praise God, he is alive. And that's a, that's a proper thing for us to rejoice in. But this morning, we're going to take a few minutes, and we're gonna look at the impact of the resurrection of Christ on this earthly life, but we're also going to look very deeply at the resurrection of Christ and its impact upon our eternal lives, the lives that go beyond this present life, the life that goes beyond this present era. 
And so this morning, that's why you need those notes. We're going to be looking at what the Bible says, and we're going to have a few surprises along the way. One of the first surprises is my niece, Grace Coleman, is here today. She's a wonderful pianist, and notice it's not just for any reason that we bring a baby grand piano out into the courtyard. We're going to sing today because the truth of Easter is a great, great thing to sing about. My brother Mark is with us today. My brother is the pastor of New Life Baptist Church in Davie, so he's joined us. Jesse Crowley is here. He's from another sister church, Providence Road Church in Coconut Grove, Miami. New Life Baptist Church in Davie, Coconut Grove, the Providence Road Baptist Church in, in Coconut Grove. These are two sister churches that share our heart for the gospel. They share the intensity of our love for the truth of the Word of God. And uh, as this service unfolds, you're going to understand more about why they're here. But we're excited to come and to worship together today. Pastor Jason is coming, and here Pastor Lucas is going to lead us. So what we're going to have is five pastors, a beautiful young lady playing, and a piano. And we ask you to sit up on the edge of your couch, uh, straighten up your back, get ready to sing with us. And I want you to notice the lyrics of what we sing today. Every Sunday when we gather together as a church family, we seek to celebrate the truth of the gospel. And this morning we're going to sing about the death of Christ. We're going to sing about the resurrection of Christ. We're going to sing about what Christ does as he comes back to life overcoming sin and death that we too may live in him. So clear out your voice, get ready to go. Let's sing together this morning. Sing together, church. Christ the Lord is risen today.
may we sing, let us behold our God in His glory. Who has held the oceans in His hand? Who has numbered every grain of sand? Kings and nations tremble at His voice. All creation rises to rejoice. privilege it is for us to do just that. This morning as we as we do come, I want us to turn to God's Word. If you have your message outline, you're going to need that this morning as we launch right into the glorious impact of Christ's resurrection. Um, that's the title of the message, the glorious impact of Christ's resurrection. And this morning, we want to first ask the question, why is the resurrection such a big deal? I mean, why do you bring a baby grand piano out into an oak grove? 
why do you go through all of the effort to maybe go to the beach when we're not under coronavirus and we have a glorious sunrise service? People get up at three o'clock in the morning to go and set up sound and audio, all kinds of things to plant a cross in the sand, to invite people to come from all over for this. Why is this day so very important? It's not just a big deal. You can see that on your outline, and if you have blanks there, fill it in. It's not just a big deal. It's everything. It's the deal. The resurrection, let's make it clear, the resurrection is the most important event in all of human history. In all of the existence of the world, everything that matters in eternity rises and falls on the resurrection. In fact, when we see what is essential for someone to even know God, to be saved from their sin, notice there on your outline at Romans 10 verses 9 and 10, make it very clear. If you confess you with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, listen to this, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart you believe and are justified, and with your mouth you confess and are saved. So the resurrection plays into the, the, the great plan of God in bringing us into a saving relationship with him. Um, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says it. Well, there's only two main points to the sermon today. And the first one is this. Christ's resurrection powerfully impacts our earthly life. We've just been talking about saved and eternity, but you know, it's not only being saved from the consequences of our sin, from hell, being cut off from God, which is, which is a glorious issue, a, a huge issue of massive importance, but we need to recognize that the resurrection is for here and now, this life. We see this in the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans. In fact, if you're taking notes, fill this in, Christ's resurrection, powerfully impacts this earthly life or our earthly life. Letter A, the new life in Christ has begun. We see this in Romans 6, new life in Christ has begun. And number letter B, the grip of our sin and death is broken. I want you to see this in Romans because we're about to have a beautiful illustration of this, yet a little bit of a surprise here in the middle of my message. Notice Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. Look what it says. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, look what it says, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him. Can you underline those words, with him? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, and I've underlined it for you, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk, and then what does it say there? In newness of life. That's not only talking about eternity, but that's talking about in the here and now of this earthly life. So the resurrection impacts this earthly life. Look at the next section that is here. In verse 5, we see it again. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, so it's saying, have we identified ourselves with Christ's death? Have we come and, and died to self in order to be identified with him? Jesus died to himself. He died to his own rights. He died to his own 
uh, glory in, in heaven. He comes to the earth. He lays down his life. Look at verse 5. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall, circle the word, certainly. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So this is promising that Christ's death means our resurrection. Christ's resurrection means our resurrection. Look at verse six. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we no longer are enslaved to sin. We are no longer enslaved to sin. Underline that part where it says we, are, we will, would no longer be enslaved to sin. That's part of this earthly impact. Look at verse seven. For, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that with Christ being raised from the dead, we'll never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Verse 10, for the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And then finally, the last verse, verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the glorious impact of the resurrection. The resurrection means that we can live. We can live free from the bondage of sin. We can live with the hope of eternal life. Well, there's a way that God has given us to picture this. Our God is a God of beautiful imagery. In fact, every morning uh, we see the sunrise. Every evening we see the sunset. Last night there was a glorious sunset here in South Florida. And that sunset was a beautiful thing. God loves the images of his glory. But not only in creation and his artistic work in that, but also in his salvation. God comes and gives us pictures for his salvation. One of those pictures he said is, is that if you're following me in faith, if you're identifying me, if you're coming to follow after who I am, Jesus says, die to yourself and live in faith in me. Now, he's given us a way to show that for those who have become Christians. He said he's commanded us to be baptized. He's commanded us to follow him in what we call believer's baptism. That's someone who believes in him that obeys him in baptism. And baptism is this picture of being, of being laid to death in Christ Jesus and being raised to life in Christ Jesus. Two people are going to be baptized this morning. Um, we have a baptismal pool here. Pastor Jason is going to do that. And the first one is Megan LeClerc. I want you to hear how Megan has come to faith in Jesus. Uh, Megan, you're in 10th grade, is that right? Yes. 10th grade, and you go to school in that building right there. Is that right? In that building. That's your building. And uh, Megan, as one of our students here uh, at Sheridan Hills, has heard the gospel, and I want you to hear her testimony. So Megan, go ahead and share with us how God has worked in your heart. Thank you. Good morning, church. I have been privileged with the opportunity to be sharing my testimony with you. I grew up in a Christian home and was involved in church my whole life. I participated in children's ministry and was even part of the annual Christian, Christian Christmas pageant 
at First Baptist Church of Fort Lauderdale since I was three years old. Later on, I began to attend Sheridan Hills Christian School, where I got a better understanding of theology. In eighth grade, my family left the church and I was devastated. I did not attend church that whole year and was considered a priester. That is until the Chipmans dragged me to youth group at Sheridan Hills Baptist Church. I enjoyed Alex's teaching so much that I called my mom right when youth group was finished to ask if I can go to Disciple Now, which was that same weekend. My mom quickly agreed and I went. That Saturday, we were watching the American Gospel and the way Christopher Plummer explained the Christian walk was an eye-opener for me. Hmm. I had never heard the gospel being explained in that way, and I automatically knew I had been living a cultural Christian life instead of a biblical Christian life. Hmm. Later that night, Alex explained the movie to me more, and on March 16th, 2019, my life was changed forever. I believe baptism is a symbol of being, of being made alive in Christ. And I believe baptism is a public confirmation of my faith and Jesus Christ's sacrifice for you and me. I would like to thank my mom for enrolling me in this school. Because if she hadn't, I would not be who I am today. I also want to thank Pastor Andrew, Pastor Lucas, Alex, the Todds, the Chipmans, and all my friends in growth group for allowing me to grow in faith and pushing me to become more like Christ. Thank you. Amen. So, Megan, your heart's been changed by our Lord and Savior. Is that right? Yes. And you, God used the film, The American Gospel, to help you see the difference between cultural Christianity and biblical Christianity. One being look right, smell right, you know, kind of look like the part. The other one says, oh, the heart is what matters. Mm -hmm. Well, we rejoice in your faith in Christ and your trust in him. So why don't you go over there and get ready? Um, you've heard her testimony. Let me remind you that baptism is the picture of the, the Christian being laid down in the water. And that is the Christian saying, I am with Christ in his death and being raised up out of the water. And as he is raised, or as she is raised up out of the water, this is the confession that I have identified myself with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Megan, based on your profession of faith, it's my privilege to baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. You're buried with Jesus in the likeness of his death. You're raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Megan has trusted in Christ, followed in Christ, and is seeking to obey Christ. There's another young man in the life of our church, um, and uh, I want you to meet Keith Seymour. Keith, go ahead and come. Keith grew up here in South Florida. He was kind of a football star in his high school years um, and uh, grew up really in a Christian home hearing the gospel um, and very similar to Megan. Uh, Keith, your testimony is, is that you didn't really understand the gospel. Uh, you, again, looked good. You sounded good. Your parents kind of thought you were the young hero. But God used some injuries in high school um, to get your attention. And then where did you go after high school? <laughs> I joined the United States Marine Corps. Right okay, hold that school. thing up good and close there. United States Marine Corps. Okay, you still look like a Marine. So, um, 
And in the Marine Corps, I know that a lot of guys run away from God and they, they just are really overcome by the Marine Corps. What happened with you in that? I actually ran towards God in the midst of all the chaos and I found my comfort through him and his word. Okay. Now, somebody had been very influential in your life. Who had been influential in your life? My grandfather from when I was a very young teen. Okay. So he was the one that was really challenging you all along the way uh, to consider your spiritual life in Christ. That's what I've read in your testimony. What a, what a glorious thing. So in Paris Island, there's not many guys that go to Paris Island to get saved, um, but you would say that it was at Paris Island that God got a hold of your life. Yes, sir. Maybe there are a few. Maybe there are a few that that, that happens with them. Well, Keith, we rejoice in your decision to follow Christ and your decision to confess him as your Lord and Savior through this. And so uh, go ahead and get ready. Um, As Keith is getting ready to be baptized, I want to just remind you, baptism is saying, I'm being obedient to Christ. Um, Jesus has called us to obey. And so as Keith is obeying um, to be baptized, we see this heart that God wants us to have turned toward him, that by his grace, he turns us toward him. And uh, so we rejoice in Keith's baptism. And Keith, based off of your profession of faith, it's my privilege to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Buried in the likeness of his death, you're raised to walk in newness of life. Praise the Lord. So the first impact of the resurrection is a life changed now, a life changed in this earthly life. We've read in Romans chapter six that we're no longer held and in bondage to sin. We're no longer held in the fear of death. But the Bible tells us that not only does he break the bond of sin, all of the things that we can't seem to stop, God comes and stops these things in us and he raises us to walk in a new life. Look at Colossians 3, it says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on these things. So this is the impact in this earthly life of the resurrection of Christ in us. He sets us free from the law of sin and death. Now I want you to flip the page and I want you to see a beautiful diagram up here. It's called the bookends of biblical theology. You say, well, I didn't expect a a big theological diagram on a Easter Sunday morning. Um, Well, you know, Christians are to learn. They're to learn of God. And the truth of God is knowable. Many people would say, well, you know, I would, I would study more if I understood more. Well, that's kind of interesting. The way that you come to understand is by studying. So I'm proud of you for being here this morning. I'm proud of you for taking the time to look at the notes. Both on the screen in front of you as well as on the notes, there is an elaborate diagram. And notice what it's called. It's called the bookends of biblical theology comes from the Crossway ESV Study Bible. I love diagrams like this. Diagrams like this help me understand the big picture of the Bible. I think a lot of Christians 
kind of walk away or they kind of tiptoe around the Bible because they've never taken, a time, taken the time to look at the big picture of the Bible. And this morning, we want to do that. I want to help you with this just a little bit. Notice it's called the bookends of biblical theology. You'll notice on the left-hand side where it says creation and fall, it has Genesis 1 and 2 and then Genesis 3. So those are the first three chapters of the Bible. And then look over on the right-hand side where it says final judgment and new creation. You'll see there Revelation 20 and Revelation 21 and 22. Those are the last three chapters of the Bible. So this diagram is about the first three chapters of the Bible and the last three chapters of the Bible. That's an important thing as we start to look at it because it's in the first two chapters of the Bible that we find total purity and rightness with God, being right before God. This is before sin would come into the world. But it's in chapter 3 that we see the fall. Genesis chapter 3 is when Satan comes, tempts, and deceives Eve and Eve and Adam, and they fall into sin, taking all of the human race and all of human history that we've known and even the future that we see until Christ returns. We see that this good creation is corrupted. Now look at the top. There's a timeline at the top, and I want you to notice this. On the left-hand side, you see God in eternal glory. This is God before he's created anything. And when he does start creating, what does it say very next in that timeline? Creation is good. Everything is good. You read Genesis 1 and 2. After everything he created, it was good, it was good, it was good. He specifically says that. There was no sin. It was perfect, in fact. And then go all the way over to the other side. We see you run past all through human history, all through the present, and through the future of even what we have now, up to the final judgment. And we say eventually, on, it ends up with God and what? God and his people in eternal glory. But a lot of stuff goes down between God and eternal glory and God and his people in eternal glory. I want you to notice that this, with me this morning. Creation. Things are created. It is perfect and right. The fall comes. And then we see God is bringing faith through Abraham. God is bringing faith through his people. And it's through this special nation, nation that he has set aside for himself. This is all before the cross of Christ. Now, the cross of Christ is central to everything. We see that all of the Old Testament, and in fact, when we look to the right, all of the New Testament and everything after Christ, it all rises and falls on Jesus Christ. You see, after Christ comes, it's not only the Jews that can be saved, and we know that Gentiles could be saved before that. There were some that were saved before that, but we see now the gospel is going to all, Jew and Gentile. And for the last 2,000 years, that gospel has been being preached throughout the world. Well, what we see here is that we come up on this final epic that we're in now, and as we come to this, there will be a final judgment. Many people have said to me, Pastor, do you think that these are the last days? Do you think that this is the final judgment that's coming? And I would say, well, I hope so. Um, I, I believe that Christians are to expect that. 
I believe that Christians are to hope for that. I believe that Christians are to look forward to that. Why do I believe that? Because I read 1st and 2nd Peter, because I read 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, because I read all of the words of Jesus that he talks about. Will you anxiously be waiting my appearing? Will you be awaiting my return? You see, that is what the Son of God is looking for. And so we see this, that there will be, notice on the right-hand side, a final judgment. And notice the yellow arrow. At the time of the final judgment in Revelation chapter 20, there will also be closely coinciding, eventually, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And this is when Christ is united finally and forever with his church, God and his people. We want to look at these truths this morning. Notice Revelation chapter 20 is that final judgment. And then look what it says, new creation. And this is the new creation without sin, without sorrow, without sickness. This is all of the result of Jesus' resurrection. Revelation 20 and 20, or 21 and 22 is where we see the body of Christ united with Christ in this glorious final state of existence where eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into our heart how awesome is it going to be. You know, one of Satan's ploys has been to think to make Christians think that, that heaven is going to be boring. I can tell you this, that heaven is going to be anything but boring. It is going to be beyond our wildest imagination of God in a new creation. You think this world's pretty cool? You think this world has some pretty cool technology? I believe that where we're going, when there's not sin involved, holding back the mind and the heart and the actions of man, when in total purity with right motives in right ways, you've never seen the exciting things of seeing not only this world but the universe that God's people will enjoy a truly glorious state with God and without the barrier of sin. So that brings us all to number two. Christ's resurrection permanently impacts our eternal life. It's not only about our earthly life, as we've seen in these baptisms, that here is someone who has come to Christ and the, the bonds of sin and death have been broken. No longer are they ruled by those things. That's the truth for every true Christian. But now we see that eternal life is beyond our wildest imaginations. Notice this statement that I have under number two. In the midst of all the sickness and sorrows of a fallen world, it is hugely important that Christians see clearly God's grand and sovereign plan that is running perfectly on time. I think that's an important word for us in this day and time. We're pretty concerned about why has the whole world stopped. In fact, it's been about 102 years since there was this kind of earth-changing, world-stopping event. And even the Spanish flu epidemic of uh, 1918 wasn't quite as comprehensive as this one when it comes to holding down and getting the whole world's attention at the same time. Modern travel, modern communication, modern everything has caused us to have to all stop at once. I believe that God is speaking. I believe that he is speaking to Christians. I believe that he's speaking to non-Christians. I believe that he is calling us 
to look and listen to him. In fact, it is his grace that is saying, look and see. Look and see how difficult this is. But quite honestly, friends, this is nothing compared to what Matthew chapter 24 describes. Matthew chapter 24 describes the coming judgment of God upon the earth that will be far more terrific than this. And so this is a glorious time for people to turn to God, to listen to God, to see that he's a God of grace that is saying, all who will come to me, I will in no wise cast out. All who believe upon me, who believe in my name, I will make them children of God. And here we see that the Bible ends showing the picture of how much God wants and desires and plans and is orchestrating to be with his people forever. This is a glorious thing. We're going to move very quickly through A, B, C, and D. Notice these. First of all, God's great plan is to bring his people into right relationship with him forever. No longer are we going to be on the spiritual roller coaster. Finally and forever, sin will be finished. And it's God's plan that we will be with him never to leave him in right relationship. What about letter B? We see in this that creation is not complete until God and his people are finally and forever together. Many people have said, well, during the six days of creation or during the initial time of creation, uh, certainly, you know, creation was complete. God isn't still creating. Oh, no, friends, listen. Jesus said, behold, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will receive you to myself. So here it's already been 2,000 years that apparently God is still preparing a place for us. Now, if this took six days and that took 2,000 years, what in the world do we have in store for us? It is going to be mind-blowing. Why would you say no to this? This is the glorious plan of a good and gracious Father who calls us to come to him, all because he has paved the way. So letter B, it's not complete until God and his people are together. Letter C, God has given us earthly marriage. Important point, part of a surprise here. I want you to see this. God has given us earthly marriage as an illustration and preparation for enjoying him forever. What do I mean by that? Every time you see a husband and a wife married together, this is the designed plan of God to show us in an earthly way what he wants between heaven and earth, between God, between God and his people. So look at letter C, important concept. A lot of folks have never understood this. There's a lot of people even in this world today who kind of wonder, isn't marriage just optional? What is the big deal about marriage? I know we've done that forever, how many thousand years, but you know, is this really, is this really necessary? What does it even mean? It sounds like a lot of legal hassle to me, or at least an, an expensive wedding. Notice this, earthly marriage is an illustration and a preparation for enjoying God forever. It's a glorious picture. Lotus letter D, the momentary marriage, the momentary marriage between a husband and a wife points to the eternal marriage between Christ and his church. Now, this idea of a momentary marriage, what do you mean by that? It's a moment in time that I am married to Marcy. You say, it only lasted for a moment. Well, if I'm married to her 50 years when I die, that was for the moment of 50 years. It, it's not forever. 
But what we see this is pointing to is an eternal marriage between God and his people. We see it between Christ and the church. In fact, notice this. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 and 32 makes this so clear. Notice the screen in front of you. It says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery, look what it says, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to what? Christ and the church. Exactly. The purpose that God gave us marriage for, the reason that God gave us marriage, is to show us the relationship of the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, who will save God's people from their sin, and those people, his people, the ones that are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this momentary marriage, in fact, there's a great book called that very thing, This Momentary Marriage. And it's written by John Piper. There's information on the back sheet there. I want to encourage you to get that. It's a little short book. It's a very small book. But it's a great book that explains this in greater detail. Look at letter E. And this is a long one, but it's an important one. And it relates to the diagram at the top of the page. But look at letter E. When this present era of the church comes to a close, and some people say, Pastor, do you think that that's soon? And, I, and I, as I said before, I hope so, because it's a glorious thing. His promises are good. Um, but you know, Christians throughout the ages have been told to look and to wait upon him with expectation. And so if we are expecting him to come back soon, we are in good standing with all Christians throughout the ages. Um, I believe that every Christian should certainly look forward. And Jesus makes very clear that those whom are awaiting his return are the ones who are really his. So Christian, I hope that you're learning about his return. I hope you're watching for his return. I hope that you are expecting his return. Notice what this says. When this present era of the church comes to a close, the galactic conflict between Christ and Satan will end with Satan being banished forever to the lake of fire. And listen, and Christ's church finally being united with him at what is called the marriage supper of the Lamb. So the resurrection on Easter Sunday morning is pointing to a great wedding that's going to happen in heaven. It's pointing to the end of this era, the end of all of the pain and the sorrow and the suffering and the death, and it's pointing to God's grand final plan, which is for him to be with his people, with no more sin and no more sorrow and no more pain, and listen, no more death. So this is the picture. The resurrection brings about the marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation chapter 19 is a beautiful chapter of the Bible where we see God bringing to a close in chapter 19 and chapter 20, God is bringing to a close the great titanic struggle between Satan and Christ. And finally, that will be put away. But notice what happens as that is also happening. Look what it says in chapter 19 and verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of mighty waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. And look what it's crying out. Hallelujah, 
for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. So this is what's being proclaimed in heaven. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride, circle that word, his, those words, his bride. And his bride has made herself ready. Look at verse 8. For it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Now, what is that fine linen that the bride of Christ is clothed with? The very next statement tells us what it is. And this is why when you see a wedding, there is a, there's a beautiful white linen dress. It's this beautiful picture of Christ bringing purity, Christ bringing beauty, Christ bringing his blessing upon this. Look what it says in verse 8. For it was granted for her to for herself to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. And here's what that fine linen is. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. You see, God saves us in order to work in us, in order for us to be doing his good work. John 3.16 says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And then it goes on to say, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So the beautiful picture is, is that Christ is preparing his people for the wedding in heaven and he's going to do that as he does in us good works. Look at the last verse there. In verse 9 it says, And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. My friend, I call you to embrace God's call to the person of Christ, to the person who died on the cross for your sins, who rose again for your sins, and all who will receive him as Lord and Savior, they are invited to the wedding feast. But those who say, no, I'm kind of busy. No, I'm not so sure. No, that means I would have to stop doing things the way I want to do them. No, God may, God may take something away from me if I, if I come to him as he calls me to. Those are the ones who are not invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. But to all who receive him, the Bible says, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, which means they believe that he is Savior and Lord. Flip the sheet over there. I want you to see these other passages then in Revelation 21 and 22. And photos, notice at the top of the page there, it says the last two chapters of the entire Bible. Here's the last two chapters of the entire Bible. Creation is restored. God and his people are together in eternity. Look what it says in Revelation 21 and verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Do you see that? New heaven, new earth. It's restored. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. That the sea there, the imagery of the sea is very often the idea of, of sin and death. Um, much time, much of the time, in poetic, poetic excuse me, poetic literature of the Bible, 
the sea represents sin and death. It has to do with the darkness and the, uh, the profundity or the depth of that. So not necessarily no sea because there's other references to the sea in heaven. Um, but here the picture is death is no more. Look at verse 2. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Get ready with your pen. Underline this. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, and I love this, this is one of my favorite, one of my favorite sections in all of Scripture, right here. Look at verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away, look at this, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Look what it says, for the former things have passed away. My friends, that is the grand and glorious end of God's grand plan, is that death is finally finished that is over and the eternal life with him is begun. And there's no more sorrow. There's no more sickness. There's no more COVID-19. There's no more terrorism. There's no more totalitarian uh, regime seeking to oppress. There's no more stifling of freedom. There's no more any, of any of these things that come from the sinful, wicked hearts that we all have. God comes and says, no, you are with me and I am with you. I love that passage where it simply says, he will walk among them. Makes me think back to the Garden of Eden, that God would come and walk with Adam and Eve. And all of that would happen until there was sin. And then they went and they hid. Over and over again, there's several other passages that are here. I won't read all of them. I hope that you will do that. Maybe even later today that you will see that there is this beautiful picture of because of the resurrection of Christ, there is a great wedding that is going to happen. Well, as we look at the grand plan of God, we see that there's the imagery of baptism, that we are laid to death with Christ as Christ laid down his life for us and raised to a new life. But there's also this beautiful image of a wedding a wedding that is going to be in heaven. And he's given us something to look forward to that, to understand it. God has made a plan for us to be able to experience what he's designed, even now in this earth, to, to begin to see what his plan is. And so he's designed the beautiful picture of holy matrimony in this earthly life so that we can begin to see what he has designed for us in eternity. Every time a man and a woman come together and commit themselves to one another, commit themselves to unconditional love, God is showing us his love. God has given us this momentary earthly marriage to see what he wants with us. And so every marriage, whether the couple even understands that or not, whether they even realize his grand design and his grand purpose 
from Genesis chapter 2, all of humanity still even proclaims this beauty. But if you're going to have a wedding, you need a bride. And today we have a bride. Today we have a bride and Talia is here. She is the bride that is waiting for her husband. The Bible tells us the church of the Lord Jesus Christ waits upon the bridegroom. What a beautiful picture that God has given us. And indeed, what a beautiful bride. Talia has come and she and her fiance have said, we believe that God has designed for us to be together. We believe that God has has ordained us to experience his love and his grace in this life. But as you see here, Talia waits for her bride for her bridegroom. The imagery here is, is that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ waits upon the great and glorious bridegroom of Christ. That he has come is what we hope for. We wait for that moment. I want you to listen to the lyrics of this song that Pastor Lucas and Grace are going to sing. The lyrics will be on the screen. You just listen to this glorious truth of the gospel. We wait, you're coming. 
tells us in Revelation, the very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, Jesus says, I'm coming soon. I'm coming again. I'm coming soon. And just as we see Aaron coming to his bride, this is the picture of what the church awaits. But today, these are not merely actors. I'm privileged to share with you, church family, that Aaron and Talia are a couple that have come into the life of our church. Um, She has been discipled by Providence Road Baptist Church in South Miami. And Pastor Jesse is um, one of the pastors of that church. And today he is going to be here officiating their wedding vows together. And as they enjoy coming together as a couple, I want you to think about what it's going to be like when finally the people of God are united finally and forever with God himself in the marriage supper of the Lamb. This beautiful symbol here on earth is pointing to an eternal reality. May we rejoice. Pastor Jesse, come and lead us. Friends, Aaron, Talia, uh, we're here to celebrate what Christ has done and what he's doing. I'm thankful for Pastor Andrew for connecting dots for us. He's helped us understand how God has chosen marriage as a picture of what God is accomplishing in his church. And so we're here to celebrate that. We're also here to celebrate what the Lord is doing in your lives to witness and to bless the joining together of Aaron and Talia into holy matrimony. And so with that purpose, I ask you a question, Talia. Talia, will you take Aaron to be your husband? Will you love him, comfort him, honor him, and respectfully follow him? And forsaking all others, be faithful to him as long as you both shall live. Aaron, I ask you a question as well. Will you take Talia to be your wife? Will you love her and comfort her, honor her and sacrificially protect her, and forsaking all others, be faithful to her as long as you both shall live? I will. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless this moment. Gracious Lord, we are thankful to you. Lord, you are our our God. And Lord, it is a gift, Lord, that you have given us that we would not be alone, Lord. 
Lord, yet that we would find a partner in life, Lord, to be our husband or our wife, God. So I thank you in this moment, Lord, that we get to celebrate, one, your gospel as it's been proclaimed, and two, what you're doing in the life of Aaron and Talia in this moment. Lord, we pray that you be honored and glorified in your son Christ's name. Amen. Aaron, it's uh, the moment for the vows. So if you would repeat after me. I, Aaron, take you to Leah. I, Aaron, take you to Leah. To be my wife. To be my wife. To have and to hold. To have and to hold. From this day forward. From this day forward. For better, for worse. For better, for worse. For richer, for poor. For richer, for poor. In sickness and in health. In sickness and in health. To love and to cherish. To love and to cherish. Till death do us part. Till death do us part. According to God's holy law. According to God's holy law. In the presence of God. In the presence of God. I make this vow. I make this vow. Talia, would you repeat after me? I, Talia, take you, Aaron. I, Talia, take you, Aaron. To be my husband. To be my husband. To have and to hold. To have and to hold. From this day forward. From this day forward. For better, for worse. For better, for worse. For richer, for poor. For rich, for poor. In sickness and in health. In sickness and in health. To love and to cherish. To love and to cherish. Till death do us part. Till death do us part. According to God's holy law. According to God's holy law. In the presence of God. In the presence of God. I make this vow. I make this vow. It's a long-held tradition that we would have rings as a symbol of what uh, of the covenant that we make today. A husband will give his bride a ring as a sign of his commitment to her and a sign of the marriage covenant he makes and a wife will do the same. And husbands and wives, they wear these rings on their hands. And as years pass, the ring remains. And now the older husband looks down at his hand and he remembers the covenant that he makes with his wife, that he loved her in the good times and in the not so good times. And the wife, she looks down at her ring as she ages and she does the same. And she remembers the commitment and the covenant that she's made. And so the ring is a physical reminder of what, of the commitment we're making and also what the Lord is doing in both of your lives. And so, Aaron, I'll begin with you. If you would take this ring and place it on Talia's hand as you repeat this vow. Talia, I give you this ring. Talia, I give you this ring. As a sign of our marriage covenant. As a sign of our marriage covenant. With my body, I honor you. With my body, I honor you. All that I have, I give to you. All that I have, I give to you. And all that I have, I share with you. And all that I have, I share with you. In the name of the Father. In the name of the Father. And Son. And Son. And the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit. Talia, would you take this ring and would you place it on Aaron's finger? And as you do, would you repeat this vow? Aaron, I give you this ring. Aaron, I give you this ring. As a sign of our marriage covenant. As a sign of our marriage covenant. With my body, I honor you. With my body, I honor you. All that I am, I give to you. All that I am, I give to you. And all that I have, I share with you. And all that I have, I share with you. In the name of the Father. In the name of the Father. And the Son. And the, Holy Spirit. and the Holy Spirit. Now that Aaron and Talia have given themselves to each other by solemn vows, 
with the joining of hands and the giving and the receiving of a, a covenant ring, I pronounce that they are husband and wife in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What God has joined together, let no man tear asunder. Aaron, you may kiss your bride. Ladies and gentlemen, may I present to you Aaron and Talia, husband and wife. Indeed, this is the grand plan of God. Indeed, this is the grand plan for God's people to be with him, to be married to him, united in him. And so today we see this great image. As you see the images of a, of a bride and a groom coming together and committing themselves to one another, that is what God has done with us. So my friends, I hope and pray that you see the power of the resurrection that the power of the resurrection points not only to this earthly life where he breaks the bond of sin and death that we can't seem to break, he comes and does that. But then he takes us home to eternity where he says, you will be my people forever. The glorious picture of this, we've just been hearing this song, even so come, all of creation, all of earth, make straight a highway, a path for the Lord, Jesus, is coming soon. Call back the sinner. Wake up the saint. Let every nation shout of your fame. Jesus is coming soon. Like a bride waiting for her groom, we'll be a church ready for you. Every heart longing for our King. We sing, even so come, Lord Jesus come. Even so come, Lord Jesus come. Now those last lyrics, look where they come from. They come from the very last verses, last verses of the Bible. In Revelation chapter 22, the Bible ends with these words. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. That's God. He's saying, I'm coming soon. Amen. And the people say, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all. This closing invitation this closing pronunciation of the Bible shows us God's grand plan. I hope and pray that you have embraced the gospel of Christ. I hope and pray that you've embraced the, the resurrection. This is a wedding you don't wanna miss. And I invite you to come to him in faith today. Now, after every wedding, there is a celebration. In fact, that's what we see in the scripture is the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's the time of great rejoicing. Here in this group, this beautiful bride and this beautiful groom, they had a plan. They had a plan to be married today. They had a plan to be married actually on Saturday before Easter Sunday. And God had another plan. And we've all been in the process of discovering that. Aaron is an attorney in Fort Lauderdale. And Talia is a, Talia is a uh, sports and fitness buff. She, she loves uh, CrossFit and some of those things, but she also has a master's degree in business. And they're moving to Fort Lauderdale permanently out of, out of Miami. And so we just rejoice that they're going to be at Sheridan Hills now as a couple. And our church family welcomes you in that great, glorious thing. Now I see a beautiful cake is prepared. 
We're going to enjoy cake. We're going to enjoy a celebration. Church family, I want to encourage you to rejoice in Easter. I want to encourage you to rejoice in the great resurrection of Christ. Please click into our website. If you need something from the life of the church, maybe you need food or you need help shopping, you need something done, go to info at sheridanhills.org. There's all kinds of resources on our webpage, but you can send a message to that email address, info at sheridanhills.org. We are here to serve you. We look forward to the day when we will be together again. Most likely, whenever the... Uh, the uh, quarantine is lifted. We'll meet again in this beautiful oak grove and you'll be able to see where this, this couple has been married and rejoice in that. Until that day, we look forward to meeting again here online as best we can. We pray that God richly blesses you and your family in the great grace of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.